0: Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone.
1: Way to go. Come on. I love it. I love it. Were you, were you nervous at all to kick the service off of Scripture? Yes. But just look out at these people. Just look out at them, right? Look out at the camera. There's like hundreds of people on the other side of the camera. None of them are going to eat you. None of them. None of them are mean like that, except for maybe like that one guy right there. So don't worry about him. Just avoid him. Just walk around, all right? Good job. Way to go. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Come on. Don't you love the next generation kicking off the service with the the Scripture reading? Thanks, Matt. I love it. I love it as well. We're We're in week two of Christmas isn't canceled. Come on, all right? I know that financially, with inflation and everything, some of you guys were wishing that Christmas might be canceled so you didn't have to buy gifts. Others of you are so far behind you wish Christmas was canceled, right, so that you had an excuse of why your gifts aren't gonna be under the tree. Uh, so just get with it. Christmas isn't canceled. Remember, we talked about this last week, right? No one can cancel Christmas because no man started it. God started it, right? All right, awesome, awesome. Well, look, if you're a guest here with us, my name's Jeff. If you're watching online right now or you're at one of our campuses, uh, we're glad to have you here with us at New Life Church. I know you could have chosen a lot of different churches to worship at, but you came to New Life. My prayer for you today is that I leave you better than I found you and that God's word impacts your life in such a way that it changes you from the inside out. Uh, We're in an Advent type of season. New Life, New Life for the first time, maybe in a long time, we're leaning into Advent. Right? We're asking, we're actually encouraging you that if you grew up with an Advent type of you know, uh, tradition around Christmas, we're asking you, bring back some of that tradition into your life. Just make sure that the tradition is leading you to the center of what Christmas is all about. Make sure it's leading you to Jesus. Okay? And I love it. I love it. If lighting a candle at dinnertime reminds you to read God's word or to take a moment and pray and thank him for all the amazing things he's done, then do it, right? Like whatever it's going to take to lead you to the center of Christmas, I would just say this, lean in. Make it happen. Make it happen. Make this Christmas the best Christmas ever by making Jesus more and more and more About your Christmas so look in our waiting we're waiting and uh, we're waiting in the in-between okay someone say in-between we're in the in-between we're in the in-between time right now between where we are and Christmas Day Okay? And if in this in-between you lean into Scripture, you lean into prayer, right? you lean into that Advent, that coming behavior, that anticipation that we're going to have an amazing day on Christmas. And it's not just going to be about family um, and those pieces, which will be the auxiliary components, but we're going to make it about Jesus. I'm telling you, Christmas will be the best it's ever been in your life. Okay? Um, but we're also in this in-between, between where we are today and the promise of the second coming. And so in this in-between, how are we to live our lives? So look, here's what's what's happened. The first coming kind of gave you a gift. Gave you a gift. It's one of the reasons why I think we actually give one another gifts. Because God gave his greatest gift to us, right, in the form of a baby Came wrapped in swaddling clothes, right? Laying in a manger, a great gift. It's one of the reasons why we give gifts to each other. But we've got this gift. And if you if you have a relationship with Jesus, that means that you've opened it, you've unwrapped it, you've been enjoying it, right? That's kind of exciting. But the best is still yet to come. And in the waiting, the best of this gift is still yet to be revealed to us. And it is the second coming of Jesus. And so this passage of scripture that you just heard read out of Romans chapter 12, um, it's a powerful passage, and the reason why we're using it today is because it teaches us how are we to be living our lives in the waiting. So here's what I need you to do. If you brought a Bible with you, right, analog or whatever, you're at home online right now, grab a Bible, right, open it up. If you don't, use your iPhone, okay, and open up your phone and access the UVersion Bible app. I want you to do that. I get it. Like I said it last week, I'll say it again. Most churches aren't encouraging you to bring out your phone at church. We are, okay? Number one, we want you to bring it out because we want you to guarantee that the ringer's off, all right? As we, just, we care about you, all right? We care about you. But secondly, really, most importantly, we want you to be able to utilize scripture. And if you have that Uversion app, then you can click on those, I think it's the three little, you know those three little dots that are on all apps? You click on that then you come up with this menu of all these things you can choose from. Click on events, and you'll find New Life Church in Ogallala, North Platte, and here in Carning. And you're going to have this scripture, because I'm going to break down Romans chapter 12, and if you don't have the scripture in front of you, it's not going to be on the screens. All right? And you're going to miss out on some things. So I'm just telling you right now, get a Bible in your hand, and let's use it as we walk through this, because... Romans chapter 12, it teaches us how to live our lives in the in-between, in the in-between. Verses 9 through 13, I don't know if you caught this or not. It was really teaching us how we are to live our lives in the in-between towards other believers, towards other Christians those who might be sitting here with you or sit in another service at your campus or sitting at another church right now down the street. How we are to live our lives with other Christians. Then verses 14 through 18 really kind of focus in on, all right, then how do you live your life in this waiting period, you know, between yourself and those who are outside of the faith of Jesus Christ. I think that's pretty important stuff to know, right? Um, and so this is going to be really practical, application-based kind of scripture. And I just want to dive into it. Verse 9 really kind of started driving home this really key, important point. I love how it starts out. It says, look, don't pretend to love, really love. Those, that's kind of the essence of it. Don't pretend to love, really love. I don't think it's by accident that this passage starts out with the attitude that makes up who God is. We know this from later on in the New Testament. Um, I think it's in the book of 1 John. It tells us that God is love. God is love. In the book of Corinthians, it breaks down. Love is patient, kind, you know, on and on and on. It's as if God gives us his very character, his nature, his DNA right there. And then what does God say to us in this in-between of between where we are now and Christmas and where we are now and the second coming? We are to be people that don't pretend to love, but we really love. So what does it look like to really love? I thought about this, right, this week, and I was just thinking to myself, like, it's impossible to really love unless you have close proximity. How do you really love? Like You don't just come to church, greet somebody in the lobby and go, I really love you. That's not how it happens. Right? It happens while you're spending time with them, going over to their house, sitting down like on a patio behind their house that's beautiful and amazing and you know eating ice cream together. That's how it's done. That's how it's done. Like, close proximity where you go out of your way and you, you go and you do things with people and you hang out with them. When you get to know people and you build relationships with people, it's close proximity. You can't really love someone unless you spend time with them. That's because real love is more than words. It has a demonstration to it. It has actions to it. This is what 1 John three eighteen tells us. It says this, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. You can't just say it. It's in the truth. And I'm just going to say this to you that you know what our world's looking for? Our world's looking for in this waiting period, you wanna find more people walk through the doors of faith in Jesus Christ, that doesn't matter what church it is, as long as it's the Bible believing, Jesus believing church. You wanna see more people be ready for the second coming? Then Christians have to show real love to each other. One of the things that the world doesn't see enough of is us showing real love to one another, why? Because here's what I know about every human being, including you. So pinch yourself, all right? And if it hurts, you're alive. So this is true about you. Okay, don't actually do it, all right? I saw somebody reaching to pinch themselves. Don't don't actually do that. Every human being has these three things that they need, they have in their life. They want to be needed, wanted, and loved. That includes you. Every single person. How do, we, how do we help somebody know that they're needed, wanted, and loved? It's through the display of love to one another. I also want you to know this, that Jesus said um, in his teachings, he goes, look, you wanna, know, you wanna know how the world's gonna know you're one of my followers? By your love for one another? And that wasn't a love by saying that you love them, it was a love that we were talking about. It's displaying the love. So how is the world gonna know in the waiting, in the in-between that, that, that you know, We're followers of Jesus Christ by our love for one another. And then that becomes contagious. And if none of that makes sense to you, then just remember what the second commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like God keeps driving this point home. So this is our very first act in the waiting. Don't pretend, but really love. So would you just, right now, would you just think with me, Who's somebody that you could like really love this week that's in the faith? And what could you do to display that love? And I just want you to write that down right now. Who is somebody that you could show real love to and what is it that you could do that would display that real love? And then do it. Do it. That's your first application, all right? Secondly, in verse 9, it says this, hate what is wrong and hold tight to what is good. Okay, these are all basic, simple principles, right? But you've already discovered that even the simplest principle is hard to implement. <laughs> Don't pretend to love, really love. That's already like, oh, I get it. Oh, but oh, it's, okay, it takes some effort. It also takes effort to hate what is wrong and to hold tight to what is good. You know, one of the things that disgusts me over the course of my time of ministry, it isn't one person that, you know, turns from the faith and walks away. That that breaks my heart. What disgusts me is when one person, you know, causes others to turn from their faith and walk away. And in, in the faith, we need to be very careful that we aren't leading others into sin. Right? We all come into faith from different backgrounds. And the Holy Spirit is convicting, and his work is happening in our lives. Right, And some of, us, some of us still have some things in our life that maybe others would, would stumble and fall over. Be careful in the way you lead your life so that you don't lead others into sin. Let's encourage each other, though, to be people that listen to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. See, true Christianity, true Christianity is all about what is the Holy Spirit saying to you and then obeying it. But what the world thinks Christianity is is a list of don'ts. They think it's very legalistic. They think that, look, if I follow Jesus, all my fun's going to go away, right? It's a list of don'ts. And we've portrayed this to them because we've let them know what we don't agree with more than what we do agree with. It's our fault. We're the ones that have created the narrative. And so I just want to say this, New Lifers, people that are at New Life, whatever campus you attend, let's change the narrative, Let's change the narrative. Let's make sure in our communities and in our circles of influence, it's it's less about what we're against and it's more about, look, here's here's the kind of people we are. We're a people that we love Jesus and we're trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when he convicts us, then we're going to follow that. That's an attitude of hating what is wrong, right, and holding tight or clinging to what is good. So hating what is wrong isn't an outward expression, by the way. A lot of Christians have taken that to portray this, like hating what is wrong is me going out on the street corner and holding up my little little post-it sign, right, on my stick and telling people what I hate about sin and that I hate sinners too. I mean, that's kind of what you see in this world and that's what this world thinks about Christianity. But hating what is wrong had nothing to do with what we're saying to the world. It had everything to do with what's going on in our heart. Hate. What is wrong means that we have to have a strong, like disgust for sin in our lives. That's where it starts. Do you have a strong disgust for sin in your life? Like I have towards something like eating liver. I have a strong, a very, very passionate about this, okay? I hate it, I just want you to know I hate it. And when I was a kid and I would come home from school after football practice, and I'm in need of a nutritious meal, and I know my mom's watching this, so i got to be very careful, but um, certain things I shouldn't say in the first service that, by the way, mom, I can say in the second and third, because you don't see that one, but when I came in, and I am in need of a nutritious meal, and I smell liver and onions being prepared for dinner, can I just say what my first instinct was? after gagging, after the gag influence, all right, after the gag thing. After that, my first influence, my first thing to do was this, to call up a friend and invite myself over to their house for dinner. (laughs) That was the first thing. And I would call up a guy by the name of Todd Carter. He lived up the street from me. like, hey man, do you think I can come over for dinner? That was my first move and if I got stuck at home and I wasn't allowed to go then I would try to normally with that meal my mom would make mashed potatoes and I wouldn't eat all my mashed potatoes I'd leave just enough so I could slide pieces of small cut liver underneath the mashed potatoes all right now if you're already if you're thinking like this is my pastor I can't believe this guy and you're wanting to leave hold on okay stick around for a moment it gets better if I couldn't do that then when my parents were away from the table because I don't know what your house, but you finished you know a good portion of that meal before you were ever let up, and so they would always finish that meal first. The kids would be left at the table as if it was punishment. I don't know what was going on with this whole meal, right? But the three of us were still at the table, they would go away, and I would feed little chunks to my smallest sister. And if she wouldn't eat it all, then I fed it to the dog, all right? So now, Mom and Dad, you know my secrets, all right? You know my secrets. But I hated the smell and the taste of liver. And in the same way, God's wanting us to hate sin in our lives. He's wanting you to hate sin in your life. But watch this. Watch this, though. I didn't hate my Mom and Dad for eating the liver, just like I'm not supposed to hate those in the world who are currently living in their sin. Now, I wasn't going to let that liver defile me, and nor should you let, (laughs) I just made liver like a spiritual issue. (laughs) I wasn't going to let that liver defile me, just like you shouldn't let the sin defile you. You, Does that make sense? This is how we're to live in this world, to hate what is wrong and to hold tight to what is good. But then the second part of that was to look, cling to what is good. It's like Velcro. Velcro. Like if you find something godly and encouraging and spiritual, like a life group or serving in a ministry, man, attach yourself to that like Velcro, industrial strength, so that you can't get ripped away. So that when you miss the life group, someone's calling you, right? Because if all you are is attached on Sunday morning, let me just tell you this. It's like duct tape. It was sticky at first, and then it's lost its tackiness because it's got ripped apart many times because you're, you're not faithful every Sunday. Nobody can be. All right, So it's like ripped apart, ripped apart, ripped apart. Then the duct tape doesn't even stick to, to, to itself. And then pretty soon you rip away and no one even knows that you're gone. So get yourself connected. Cling to what is good. Connect to something that's righteous and, and holy and uplifting. Are you with me so far? Verse 10 says this, take delight in honoring each other. Take delight. This is the way we're supposed to be towards each other because here, here's the deal. like We live in a dog-eat-dog world. And if you haven't haven't experienced that, then just wake up tomorrow, okay? We live in a dog-eat-dog world where people, like, they'll stab each other in the back quick. Where it's like everyone's out for themselves. But Christians, we have a responsibility to do something, to honor one another, to protect one another, to build one another up, right? And to believe the best about each other before we assume the worst, I'm just telling you, you live a life like that, it's very attractive. It's the kind of safety net that the world's looking for. They go, I want to be a part of that. But guys, every one of us has to fight for it. It can't just be me. Every single one of us has to go after this. We have to hunt after it. We have to live our lives by it to honor each other, build each other up, think the best about each other before assuming the worst. Some of the practical ways we can do this is by, by doing this simple, simple act. Shut down gossip in all forms when it's around you. Just shut it down. You know, I mean, just say, look, I I appreciate your opinion, but I I just can't go there. That's just not what I think. God God hasn't called us to talk about people that way. Right? Or just walk away if you have to. I mean, whatever you got to do, be loving when you can and literally shut it down when you have to. Right? And let's just speak well of one another. Let's find joy in building each other up. That type of atmosphere is what the world's looking for, and in this waiting, in this in-between, this is what God calls us to do. In verse 11 in our waiting, he says this. God commands us, basically, he says, look, don't be lazy, right, and serve God enthusiastically. That's a great word, enthusiastically. You know what basically I see in this, this little verse right here? I feel like God's saying this to us. Be a, would you just be attractive? Just be attractive. You know, go back, go back, guys and gals, to when you were dating. You cared about being attractive. Now I'm pudgy. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like now certain things slide. But go back to when it mattered to be attractive and think about that through the lens of faith. Because that's what he's saying to us. Like be the best worker. Wherever you work, be the best. Be the one who shows up on time be one of the last ones to leave, if that's what it takes. Be the first ones to show up, ready, ready when the when the when the, the time starts, and be the one at the end with the with the with the broom that's serving others, cleaning up, whatever you have to do, filing the last paperwork, you know, giving a smile to someone on the way out the door. You see what I'm saying? Like be the best, be the best, outperform others. Not to be arrogant about it, but just to be the best. That's attractive. It's attractive to your management. I'll tell you that right now. Don't get lazy in your commitment to following Jesus. And by all means, be passionate about life and serving God. Be passionate about it. Some of you are like, it was just not in my nature to be outgoing. It's, uh, look, it's in, it's in the nature of the believer to be enthusiastic. That's what God said. It's not your choice. If you're choosing not to be enthusiastic, you're basically saying, I like your scripture, but I'm not gonna do it all. So basically he's saying this, look, be attractive, be passionate. Aren't passionate people influencers? Aren't passionate people contagious? True passionate people are contagious. There's something inside of each and every one of us that we go, I like that, I wish I could be more like that. That's typically what we say. I wish I could be more like that. Well, let me just say this, you can. And it doesn't have to be fake. The Holy Spirit is what is wanting you to be passionate. And he's wanting you to be attractive so that others would go, if you follow Jesus and that's the way your attitude is, I want, I want to follow Jesus as well. And in these last days, he's commanding our faith to be attractive. Verse 12, can I just sum it up? Never give up. That's verse 12. Never give up. Rejoice all the time. Be patient with people. Keep on praying, that's what it says right there. Never give up. Verse 13, let me sum it up again. Be a generous people. Be generous towards one another. How attractive is that? When they see other believers meeting believers' needs. That's attractive, guys. That's the kind of club they want to be a part of. They want to be a part of Christianity that eats each other, that destroys one another, that stabs each other in the back, that doesn't show true love. So I love how he starts out with, you know, show true love, and then he ends it with a display of that love as generosity toward one another. So if you know of a need that another believer has, it doesn't matter what church they go to, help be a part of meeting the needs of other believers. That's our, that's our attitude towards one another. I guarantee you there's one, two, three, maybe five things in there for each of you that could be applied to your life immediately. But then verse 14 through 18, it fo- the focus changes on how are we to live our lives you know, with those that are outsiders, outside the faith. We've got some really, really bad examples of this over the years. Right? We've been shown and modeled some bad examples like condemning and judging those who are outside the faith, guilting and shaming those, just straight up telling sinners that God hates them, or flip the coin, go to the other side. Maybe it's we've condoned you know, the sinner's lifestyle, or we've altered Scripture so that we don't offend them, or we've altered Scripture to somehow say that God approves of their sin, Like both of those approaches are horrifically wrong and they're destructive in their own right. But verses 14 through 18, it says this to you and it says it to me. It says this, that God's word instructs us to live, watch this, at peace with those who are outside the faith. At peace. It tells us to build relationships with those who are outside the faith. It says to celebrate with them And to weep with them. I would just say this to you you don't celebrate with people you're distant from, and you don't weep with people that you're distant from. So God's basically saying this you're the salt and the light of the earth. And unless you get connected to and have relationship with those who are outside the faith, how could you ever, ever affect them in a way that would lead them into the gospel of truth through Jesus Christ? But then it instructs us, live humble and peaceful lives with them, even with those who want to persecute you. 1 Peter chapter 2 drives home this point when it says this. Dear friends, I've warned you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly, watch this, live properly, right, among your unbelieving neighbors, It could also be inserted in there. Live properly among your unbelieving friends. So then, watch, this is the kind of influence that you as a believer could have in this world. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and watch what happens. They will give honor to God when he does what? When he judges the world. When he comes again. In the waiting Did you realize that you can live your life in such a way that's attractive so that those who are outside the faith will be won into the faith? That's what we're called to do. So we're called to build relationships with those outside the faith, to influence as many people as possible to follow Jesus and to live an honorable life that brings people in the in-between, brings them into relationship with Jesus. So I don't know how you feel about this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12, but I think it's crystal clear that this passage is really teaching us and instructing us how to live in the in between now look we might now know how to live but i don't know about you but we're not very good at waiting we're not good at waiting like we like things like now like think about our technology what can you do with one fingertip right now right now with one fingertip you could buy an airline ticket right now you know while i'm preaching you you could buy sell stock Buy, sell crypto with one fingertip. That's what you can do right now. You can transfer money from one account to another account. You can purchase your groceries right now while I'm preaching. And don't, don't tell me you haven't done it, all right? Because I look out sometimes and I'm like, that person's not with me. I don't know what they're doing, but they're not with me. Right? You can post what you're eating on Instagram with one finger. And by the way, we don't care. You can make A video call to someone halfway around the world with one fingertip you see what I'm saying like technology it has it has trained us we're like little lab rats and it's trained us we don't wait for anything you want it now you can get it now one little fingertip and you can do it all but we have to come back to understanding there's value in the waiting and in this in between this value that God wants us to come to is this he's doing something profound in your life I want you to think about this in-between time, the waiting, like, a, like if you've been married, okay? If you've been married, you've gone through an engagement. I want you to think about it as the engagement time waiting for the, waiting for the marriage. That's this in-between time. I want you to think about that for a moment. I've done a lot of weddings, okay? I've walked a lot of couples through engagement. A few years ago, I did like 13 or 14 weddings in one summer. That's crazy. That's a lot. It was just like, I was going from wedding to wedding to wedding to wedding. I ate so much wedding cake, I didn't want to see wedding cake again. Right? But every couple that's going through engagement, here's, here's one of the things that they want to do. They want to get through that, and they just want to be married. They just want to enjoy the marriage. You know, and every once in a while in premarital counseling, they'll even talk about it. Like, we, we should just go to Cancun and get married right now. And then it's kind of like, no, don't do that. They come back to their senses, you know. But every couple, they want to do that. But the waiting time, here's what the waiting time allows an engaged couple to do. A Waiting time allows them to be the best version of themselves for the other. That's what a waiting does. And inevitably, in every premarital counseling moment, we always find these things that are going to be like major issues that you got to deal with. And in their love-struck mind, they can't see it. You, you know what I mean, Right? But we work through two families coming together they they spent time dreaming about the future that they have with each other and then physically and emotionally they're preparing themselves for the sacrifice that's going to be required to put one another first and in the same way this is the attitude Christ wants us to have with him in this period of waiting in this in between are you becoming the best version of yourself for him Right? Are you leaning in? Are you discovering the areas of your life that, man, if today Jesus would come back, they would just like grind against his principles. They would be like sandpaper against his word. Because during this waiting period, guess what we get to do? We get to purify our lives and get our lives more lined up with him. We get to get our hearts more lined up with him. We get to get our emotions lined up with him, our priorities lined up with him. In the waiting, take value in the waiting and make yourself the best version that you can be for Christ. Just like we wait for an earthly wedding, we're waiting for a heavenly one. The book of Revelation, it tells us about this in chapter 19. Follow along with me in this. It says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty, mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us, let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Guys, in this passage, if you're going, what in the world does this even mean? I just want you to know the Lamb is Christ, and, and the church is the bride. And if you have your faith in Jesus Christ, it literally talks about this, like, this wedding that takes place this bonding that takes place between the church the believer and and jesus and for those who have chosen to follow him then here's what we can do we can eagerly be waiting to be reunited with him so look here's where we're at here's where we are in the in-between right we're in the world's longest engagement ever with no save the date wouldn't it be awesome if there was a save-the-date, though? But every time man tries, it blows up in his face. So I got no save-the-date for you, but I can tell you this, we're in the world's longest engagement. So can I just, can I just wrap up my message? I, I want to sum it up for you. Listen, let me sum up everything, okay? So that you, maybe you can, you can find some takeaway today. Enjoy the presence of Jesus in the waiting. If there's one thing I've noticed about engaged couples is they enjoy their time with each other you can't hardly rip them apart from each other it doesn't matter what they're doing you know she goes to get her nails done and for the one and only time ever he's there <laughs> he won't be there in the future but he's there in the engagement you know what i mean so like they, you can't you can't separate them let me say this to you like spend every moment you can in the presence of christ Because the more you spend in his presence, the more you know him. And you're knowing the one who you're going to be reunited with. So if earthly couples are inseparable, then you be that way with Christ. Here's another one. Be excited to tell others about Jesus. Be excited about it. When I find an engaged couple, they can't stop talking about each other. I mean, they are infatuated with one another. They just tell all kinds of crazy. Oh, you're so cute. It's amazing. It's, the way you wink is incredible. You're like, I guarantee you 5 years from now you won't even notice that. Right? The way you smile and that one that one thing the little dimple the Right? They just, like, they, they, they just like, they can't, they can't stop. They just have to keep telling others. Did you see, did you see the way you did this? Did you see the way she does that? Like, you know, eventually you're just like, look, I'm not the one getting married to her. All right? So stop. But be excited about Jesus. Tell other people about Jesus. Use the waiting to emulate Jesus. That's what Romans chapter 12 is. You live your life by Romans chapter 12. You're emulating Christ. And then lastly, just keep your eyes on his return. We're told in Scripture that Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night, and all of a sudden, one moment, bam, he's here. Keep your eyes on him. Don't get distracted in the waiting. Don't grow weary in the waiting. And can I just say this one last final word that I want you to have as a takeaway? Here's the good news. Did you realize that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, and one of his big roles is this, to prepare you for the return of Jesus? You're not alone in the mission. You're not alone in this thing. He's at work in you, preparing you. So just listen to his voice and follow him. It's that simple. He'll do the work. He'll prepare you. So guys, look, Christmas isn't canceled. The second coming isn't canceled. The first coming wasn't canceled. No one can cancel the second one. You just got to have your heart ready. Be ready, right? Be ready for his return. And let's just keep leaning in. And in this in-between, let's be the best version of ourselves. Are you with me? All right, come on, come on. All right, so just stand up with me. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you, and let's get, let's get ready to just, like, lean into the presence of the Lord, and let's make this one of those moments where we just take advantage of the fact that we're in His presence, and we maximize this. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you that we can be encouraged about the fact that you are coming again. Lord, Romans 12, it teaches us how to live our life. May we apply those principles to our heart today, both with believers and with those who are outside the faith. And Lord, I just ask that in some way, shape, or form, that, Lord, you would, uh, you would just stir right now in our hearts and in all of our campuses and with everybody that's online with us. Would you just stir in anticipation of just being in your presence? like an engaged couple, that we'd be excited again about the fact that you're returning. So Lord, have your will in our hearts and through our lives here at New Life Church. And everybody said, amen. Amen.